Hey, in the immortal words of Judy Brown, happiness is a choice. We're happy you spend some time with us. Chip and Zay holding it down midday right here on the Texas Sports Unfiltered app and YouTube channel. Tell your friends and enemies. Please like and subscribe. Please use our sponsors. They're great people. And we're serious about that. All of them. Like we have personal relationships with the sponsors who are on this channel and they are all great people. So um, that's, that's a great way to support Texas sports unfiltered by supporting uh, all these logos that you see all around here. And Zay, it is Wednesday. February 21st, we are now a week clear of Valentine's Day. We are eight days from the start of the NFL Combine. We are less than 30 days to the start of Texas spring football. And I've been kind of uh, throwing out a question here. We, we like to talk Texas, a little Texas football to start each show. And yesterday I asked you, you know, maybe what would be your biggest concern? What do you think is a strength? Like when you look at Texas football and, and I'll say outside of quarterback, what excites you about Texas football going into 2024? Um, I would probably say even with Jalen Ford gone, the linebacker crew, with Johnny Nansen coming in, all the great things that we've heard about him coming from Arizona, the relationship that he has with Steve Sarkeesian, you know, with Jeff Choate going to Nevada and Jalen Ford going to the NFL, you were wondering, okay, you might lose a lot. And then David Benda, him in year five he was terrific man he was really good and for him to come back for a sixth season and anthony hill to continue doing what he's doing i still think he's going to be an elite player he already showed flashes of that this past season that alabama game comes to mind of all longhorn fans but yeah i don't think the linebacker room gets talked about enough and as good as Jalen Ford was last year, I'm really excited about what David Benda and Anthony Hill are going to bring to the table this season, along with Leona LaFowl. Like, you heard things about him being a really good coverage linebacker, so maybe him just understanding Pete Kwiatkowski's defense in year one, getting the hang of it, now in year two, we can just – Hey, let the leash off them and let them go crazy. So, yeah, man, I think it's going to the linebacker crew. I think, uh, you know, it doesn't get talked about enough, but the 2024 linebacker crew for this Horns roster, I think they're going to be really solid. Yeah. 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 I think that's, uh, that's a, that's a good point to bring up. Um, I, I will say um, the carryover of the Texas offense. I, I trust uh, Steve Sarkeesian and Quinn Ewers. Um, and really it's on Quinn Ewers right now during winter conditioning and during this, you know, off season where 
Um, he's got to do a lot of stuff on his own, throwing sessions with these new receivers. Um, obviously, Silas Bolden, the transfer from Oregon State's not here yet, but you do have Matthew Golden and Isaiah Bond in addition to um, Amar Nyblack at tight end and the returning receivers, Jontae Cook, Ryan Niblett, DeAndre Moore, and I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of, of Jaden blue and, and CJ Baxter, I think will only get better. So I'm excited about the carryover because even though you lose big time, big time playmakers in Jonathan Brooks, Xavier worthy, AD Mitchell, JT Sanders, and, um, you know, Christian Jones, who was the highest rated run blocker um, on that offensive line last season. I I think there's reason to believe this offense can, you know, pick up where it left off. It's interesting when you look at like the average um, well, points per game under Steve Sarkeesian, it's been right around 35 all three seasons. And I I would have thought it would have been a little higher last year, honestly. Um, so look, it's a, uh, I think 35 points per game, put them in the top 15. Yeah. But with Quinn Ewers in year three, could it go even higher? Yeah. I mean, that's what we're banking on. You know, coming from one year one to year two, the dude showed just a crazy level of development and progress. And that's what you want to see. He still had his moments where you're like, okay, Quinn, what the hell are you looking at? I.e. the Oklahoma game that your first drive. But, you know, I the what Quinn Ewers that we saw in year two, those things didn't phase him as much. Like you go back to the Texas Tech um, interception where he didn't get the ball high enough on the fade route, just different things, you know, the interception versus Oklahoma State right across the middle. Like there are a few things where like, okay, Quinn, what the hell are you looking at, bro? But as the game goes on in year one, it, would affect him to where he just couldn't get out of that funk. And I would say Steve Sarkeesian in that year didn't help him out as much as he should have. I think A.J. Milwee being on the field this past year was a big help with that. But in year two, Quinn doesn't allow the mistakes to phase him to where things could just completely go off the deep end. You know, he keeps his composure and he's able to break records with, you know, completions in that OU game after all of those mistakes. Like he's able to keep his head high, stay engaged, keep his team engaged and keep his team confident. And I think it's only going to get better in year three, because again, he's starting to know a lot of these defenses because you've seen them a lot. The reps that you have in these last two years, now things are becoming more familiar game in and game out. So yeah, that's, we're all banking on that. When yours, he's, you're supposed to have a top five draft pick year. That's what we're wanting. 
Like that's what the family and just kind of his whole trajectory has been coming out of South Lake Carroll. Okay, are we going to put ourselves in the best position in his college career to get to the NFL? Well, here we are. You beat Alabama last year. You take your team to a college football playoff after Carson Beck. It's Quinn Ewers as the man. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I'm excited about it. I really am. I think his maturity level has gone through the roof. Again, he's still not a rah-rah guy. I don't think he'll ever be that rah-rah guy. You know, Tom Brady set the standard for getting in guy shit and just, you know, putting the helmet-to-helmet type of stuff, which is cool. Everybody has their way of being the leader. But Quinn Ewers, you can tell the leadership is getting better and better each day. And that's what you need at that quarterback position. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's um, it's it's so interesting to see Texas as a top four team in most projections for next year. In the past, we would see that kind of a projection and be like, Ugh. <laughs> Texas is trading on its history and tradition again, but now they're trading on what they actually did last season in the returning players. I mean, obviously, I don't think anyone realizes, and Steve Sarkeesian said this last week, he said, how lucky were we to have two interior defensive linemen like this playing together? Like that, the one thing I'm, I think it's probably safe to say is Texas will not, well, who knows? Johnny Nansen, Kenny Baker, Pete Kwiatkowski. I mean, finishing number three in run defense is so, is so good. And it got to the point where we looked at each game and said, well, they're not going to run. The other yeah. team's not going to run. Like we just, we just walked in knowing that that's crazy. That hasn't happened around here for probably since I have to pull out my record books. The last time they held teams to 82 yards per game rushing. And that's, that's, going to take some adjustment like Longhorn Nation just just know it there's going to be some turbulence um as that defense settles into its new identity there's there's a lot we talked about last year you want the spine of your defense to be the strength your right. two tackles your middle linebacker your safety position you want those three to be money, veteran, leadership, experience. And you're still going to have that with Alfred Collins and Vernon Broughton. Um, I mean, Kendrick Blackshire, David Benda. Kendrick Blackshire's played a lot of football at right. Alabama. David Benda's in his sixth year. And and Anthony Hill is a manimal. I mean, that dude is wherever they line him up, weak side, middle, Jalen Ford thought it would be in the middle. Yeah. That dude's just going to figure it out and make plays. Telling you, that linebacker room, man, you naming them off. Guys that slipped my mind when I was just talking about them. <laughs> like, that linebacker room, it could be scary. 
Johnny Nansen get those dudes right. That could be scary. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited to to get the vibe, yeah. um, you know, on Johnny Nansen because Jeff Choate was such a good technician. And, you know, Jeff Choate really deserves a lot of credit for bringing out Jalen Ford because Jalen was one of those guys where the coaches were more confident in him than he was. Like they were telling him, you're ready. You're ready. You're good. Don't question. Don't hesitate. Don't, don't question your eyes. Just go. And you know, it, it took that third down sack of Bryce young two years ago against Alabama. He did nothing in the first game. I think Jalen Ford had one tackle in the, yeah. In the opener against Louisiana Monroe, but then he sacked Bryce Young on third down, and it was like, oh, and it just he opened a can, a whoop ass that never the lid never went back on it, and that's you know that's those buy in moments for coaches. You need buy in games for players. You need buy in moments for David Benda getting cut block, getting up. Sacking Jalen Milrow on third down. Come on, man. That did more for his confidence than we'll ever know. That was special. That was that was a big time play. Anthony Hill, same way. Anthony Hill, big time. Third down sacks in the Alabama game as a true freshman. I mean, those are the moments that say, Oh, I can I can compete on this level. And you know. That because we were talking about coming out of year one, Steve Sarkeesian really didn't have a signature win. Then in year two, it you know, he he housed Oklahoma 49 to nothing, but they had Davis Bevel playing quarterback. That dude was no better than you or me out there. <laughs> so you know you're like ah i don't know if that's a signature win there's kind of there was oh you kind of look like a tomato can you know and i i said coming out of year two the signature win was the win at k-state because sure enough k-state went on to win the big 12 but coming out of year three oh man I mean, Texas goes into Alabama where they were 52 and one under Saban at home in the last however many years and they win. Yeah. Then everybody was, was buying, you know, what Sark was selling. Now, you know, here we go in the SEC. And, you know, Lance Taylor said, you know, he looked at Texas's football schedule for 2024. Lance has covered the SEC forever. Yeah, is Lance trolling us? I, 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 I <laughs> uh, maybe it's just the UTSD. Ain't nothing easy about that schedule at all. Well, I see people like on Twitter talking about 12 and 0 and shit, which sounds gravy. You know, with little mashed potatoes and greens on the side sounds beautiful, but. Really? Easy? No, it's not now. easy. Come on. Because you go to Michigan in week two 
and you got Georgia, but your road games for a lot of Texas fans, there's nothing easy about going to Arkansas. There's nothing easy about going to AM. Those, I don't care what anyone says, those teams are going to play twice whatever their record is. Yeah. So, you know, but you get you get to go to Vanderbilt. Like everyone wants their road game to be at Vanderbilt. And Texas gets Florida and Georgia in Austin. Kentucky's a tricky team. They get them in Austin. Um, they get half the house for Oklahoma. Mississippi State's breaking in a new coach. Lebby. I mean, this schedule is nice. It's not easy, but it's it's doable. You don't play LSU. You don't play Alabama. And you don't play Missouri. I mean, let's be honest. Missouri had a great year last year, and they've had a really good recruiting offseason. And, you know, Eli Drinkwitz, I thought that dude was comic relief, and he's he coached he coached his team last year. I love Drinkwitz, man. He's hilarious. He's funny. He's so funny. He is. Yeah, he, mm. he's perfect for that job. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like rewinding that. back to what you were saying about the defensive line coming into 2024. And yeah, Sark talking about Byron Murphy and Trevondre Sweat, what they brought to the table. It's going to be, I wouldn't say stressful, but there's going to be a lot of pressure on Kenny Baker coming in, taking over for Bo Davis because. A lot of Texas fans, which it's only, again, Byron Murphy and Trevondre Sweat, they're generational players. So I want Texas fans to keep that in mind. If you see the defensive line, especially in the interior, take a step back this year. And it's going to be so easy to just straight up blame Kenny Baker and say, damn, we miss Bo Davis and this and that. You still got to have dogs that can fight. You know what I'm saying? Like, as good as you are as a coach, as good as you are as a recruiter or developer, you know, certain guys just get it. You know, Alfred Collins, if we're banking on Kenny Baker just completely save Alfred Collins and make him a first-round pick, I think we're being a little delusional. You know what I'm saying? I want Alfred Collins to have that breakout year, absolutely. But with what we've seen these last four years, that's asking for a lot still. You know what I'm saying? And I forgot it was good last year in 2023. Yeah. Really good. When you threw out the stats, that shocked me a little bit. Like the dude was good, but can he do it consistently? You know, with as much as Pete Kukowski likes to rotate guys, he still wasn't getting big time reps due to B Murphy and T sweat. So right. that's, that's just, I, I think Kenny Baker is going to be good. But to throw everything on Kenny Baker when this defensive line possibly takes a step back would be really cold and very unfair. So I hope Texas fans could be objective about Kenny Baker in the long run, in the long haul. And he's only 37 years old, but I trust Sark. You know, I trust his decision making on bringing guys in. I just... You know, I'm I'm bracing myself for that defensive line as good as Ethan Burke is, and as good as I think he could be, and Baron Sorrell and Vernon Broughton, and you know all those guys. I'm still expecting them to take a step back, and right. I don't think 
we could throw it on Kenny Baker and be like, yo, coach, this is your fault. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Right. No, it's uh it's a really good point because Texas fans, everyone who watched Texas football was spoiled by those two because um and look, Tavondre Sweat, Byron Murphy has always had it. Byron Murphy has always known he really does remind me a lot of Casey Hampton and Roy Miller, those guys who just knew they were the baddest dudes on the field. Devondre Sweat went up and down a little bit. He he definitely did not like the fact that he had three different defensive coordinators his first three years at Texas because he had just gotten comfortable with one, and then here comes another guy. And then he had to prove himself all over again. And look, when you weigh 350 pounds, 360 pounds, you're trying to get going in one direction and yeah. earn some trust. And then you got to start all over again. And that's, but that's, that's the business of football. And he was introduced to it early. And, and then he connected with Bo Davis. And there's no question that, that Bo Davis got, I think, he got Tavondre Sweat to take it to another level and, you know, become the NFL player that he's about to become. And, but I don't, like, I can tell you point blank, Byron Murphy is going to be a 10-year player in the NFL and he might be a multi-year pro bowler. Like, that's that's how good I think Byron Murphy is. Tavondre Sweat, I think could get to a second contract and then it's about because Tavondre, I think maybe doesn't have quite the internal engine that, that Byron Murphy has, but like Tavondre sweat needs to be coached by the right guy. He needs to, he needs to be, you know, he didn't like Tom Herman who I don't know anyone who liked Tom Herman as a player because he would MF you, to you know, it'd shame you into doing a better job that we've talked yeah, about. That, thanks, coach. Appreciate that. <laughs> that. That means a lot for my confidence. Thank you. Yeah. And and Bo Davis did some of that too, but he also would cut up with them and gotta balance and, it. Yeah. Yeah. And take them aside and say, dude, I've coached this guy, this guy, this guy. They're all in the NFL. You are right there. So give it to me. Just yeah. trust me. Do what I'm telling you to do, and you're gonna you're gonna reach your goals, you know? Yeah. That, I mean that stuff is huge. Oh, it's so important. Like, and it's a difference when the head coach is just being bad cop. You know, the head coach, you gotta be the best at balancing everything. You gotta be bad cop sometimes with the tough love, and then other times, yeah, you gotta take them out to dinner type stuff. You know, ask about moms, ask about the girlfriend, give them advice that doesn't have to do with the game. You know, coordinators, they, they, those guys spend time with them more than anybody, especially the position that they're, whatever they're, um, you know, assigned to, those types of coaches. So you, you got to be able to just understand these players and this generation. And, yeah, I hope Tavondre Sweat gets into the right system, on the right team. 
You know, I think he has a lot of promise, but yeah, I just him not weighing in at the senior bowl or, you know, the Reese's senior bowl and stuff. I don't like that very much. And as good as he was this year, I hate to think that his weight would be the issue and him falling in the draft. Cause like, dude, you were the best defensive lineman in the nation. Like, yeah, as good as Byron Murphy was, you got the award for best D lineman in the nation. So again, the combine is going to tell a lot, and I hope he's cut some weight down to where these GMs and front office guys have confidence in drafting them high. Yeah. You know, one of the best stories um, that I can remember of, of a coach making a huge difference in a player's life, um, Dwayne Aquina. So said Griffin corner on the national championship team played, you know, in the NFL Vikings Redskins and said Griffin told me I was, I was about to flunk out of Texas. Like I wasn't, I wasn't connected. I didn't, he, he, you know, honestly, I don't think he felt connected to Mac Brown because you know, said G's a dog and he wanted, he wanted the dogs to bark and maybe a little bit like the Miami hurricanes of that, of that time frame. And, and so he didn't feel connected to Mac because Mac was always like, you know, act like you've been there before, blah, blah, blah. Well, Dwayne Aquina pulls set aside and says, dude, you have it. You have what it takes. You're, you're an NFL player and I need you to, I need you to stay with me here. I need you to engage. I need you to do everything you're supposed to do because you're an NFL player. And said Griffin told me that changed his life. That conversation changed his life. And he said he put all of his stock into Dwayne Aquina, whatever Dwayne Aquina asked him to do, he did it. And that's all he needed, you know, you got to connect with somebody. Yeah. Like, you don't have to love the head coach. You don't have to love the assistant coach. You got to love somebody who's working with you every day. Who's can bring it out of you. Mm-hmm. And, and then said Griffin who had a terrible childhood, terrible uh, his parents split up. Neither parent wanted him. Like he went to his, you know, went, his dad was like, Hey son, no man, go, you know, with your mom. And it was awful. He ended up living with one of his high school coaches. Um, and thank God, you know, found people who cared and, and nurtured him. And, you know, because of his love for the family that he was living with, he poured himself into football and then he made a name for himself and got the scholarship to Texas. But he's a guy who didn't have a lot of love in his life from the people who should have been loving him. And I I marvel at said Griffin, and I marvel at Terrell Brown, who was also from that same time period. Terrell Brown had my worst nightmare happen. So his parents split. He's living with his mom. And she had to get up early and go to work. And so he would leave 
the house after her and was nine, nine years old. And he, uh, you know, he gets a knock at the door, ring doorbell. He comes down, you know, and there's a police officer at the door saying, God has a plan for everything. And Terrell Brown's mom had been shot in the driveway, shot and killed. He's nine. And like, if that happened to me, my mom was my best friend. I would not have been able to breathe. And Terrell Brown held it together, is one of the nicest, most unbelievable people you'll ever meet. I mean, he's a dog. Don't get me wrong. But what a human being Terrell Brown is. And I couldn't have gone on to do what he I couldn't have held it together. No, absolutely not. I mean, absolutely not. Yeah. That, that's the, the worst possible, you know, scenario. And so, you know, that's the, in doing this job for 30 years, covering Texas, covering the Cowboys, those are the stories that are, you know, that are the, the ones you want to tell because there's so many incredible people on that Texas roster right now that we don't even know what they've been through. And that's where I give Steve Sarkeesian credit because by having all the guys talk to each other on those culture Wednesdays and share their stories, that will bond you together. Like Dick Tomey did it for Texas in 2004. It made a difference. I, you know, I've talked to Vince young about it and he's like, yeah, man, those meetings we had where we would tell each other, you know, they did it by position group, but, um, and I like Sarkeesian's way of doing it where you're talking to the whole team by the end of those, you know, the summer, those culture Wednesdays, you've been in a group with every other player on the team. And, um, you know, that's, that's, that, that's your family. And coaches always say, you know, we love each other. Well, do, do you? Do you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like Tom Herman used to kiss his players when they would come out to, you know, play at Houston after MF and them all week. So like they would look at him so and go, fake. oh my God. God, that is so fake, man. <laughs> that's what i'm saying i don't understand the bad side of it you know like i don't get what are you getting into the profession for if you don't want these young athletes to succeed not only as athletes but in life because that reflects you as a coach as a mentor as a teacher you know what i'm saying like i've heard insane stories this last week of M former NBA coach George Carl and guys like Kenyon Martin his former players and guys like Carmelo Anthony and the stories that they tell about George Carl and how Gary Payton has to have the best relationship with him or Glenn Big Dog Robinson and George Carl I see him on Twitter bashing these guys still trying to protect himself and it's like dude they're right like, it's a numbers game. If all these players are saying this about you, they're right. And it's like George Carl, I looked at him as a solid NBA coach before all this stuff started to come out. So it's like, why, why, how, 
You know, it doesn't make sense, especially if coach's son, like I know what my dad brought to the table and he always talked about how proud he was of the guys after high school and having families and stuff like that. Like I understood early. Yes. The wins were very important. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me. The wins were definitely important, but winning off the court, like winning in life, way more important than that. And coaches that don't understand that, like coaches that are just cussing guys out every week and think that's the way to go. Like, you don't know what these dudes are going through. You know what I'm saying? Like, it meant a lot to see Kirk Cousins have a therapist in that Netflix quarterback show. That meant a ton because, shoot, 20, 30 years ago, if you were going to therapy, you were looked at as a chump. You were looked at as soft, weak. Like, why are you needing, why are you having problems? Like mental health, like what what are you having problems with? What's, why do you need to be stressed? Like, just go to church, (laughs) you know? So like, like that's just, who knows how many coaches back in the old days where guys were seriously going through mental health stuff, like the stories that you told us about Cedric Griffin or Terrell Brown, like you, you don't know yet you're cussing these guys out on the field and stuff. Like some of them don't need that. Right. At all. Like some of them need Dwayne Aquina, you know, to put their arms around you and be like, yo, man, hey, it's going to be tough. But if you listen to me, we're going to get you to the NFL. Like that's huge. That is so huge. I, I love that shit too, Chip. Like that's what it's all about. Like yeah. that's that's what it's all about. Well, and Chris Bennett, yeah, I mean, everyone remembers Mac at Texas as Mac the Nice and – you know, but he he was a screamer and a intense micro manager. You know, Troy Aikman. I interviewed Troy when I was covering the Cowboys, and he goes, "You know, Mac Brown almost broke me," and I was like, "Huh?" <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, at Oklahoma," and I was like, "Oh shit, that's right. He was your offensive coordinator your freshman year," and he's like, "Yeah," he's like that dude screamed at me if the ball placement wasn't exactly where he wanted it. And he's like, like, seriously, he almost broke me. And I was like, wow. And Mac, you know, was this intense guy. And then he gets the North Carolina job. He goes one in 10, one in 10. He, his wife leaves him and I'm sorry. <laughs> he's, he's a, you say that like she left him because of the losses. Well, I, I'm sure the losses didn't help, but he was. I mean, I'll never forget. Oh, oh Mac! <laughs> Mac told us this one story. In 10, one in ten, his wife leaves him. Well, he, he told oh, us this story, funny. where his wife, his ex-wife, now ex-wife, was like, "Are you having an affair?" And Mac was like, am I having an affair? I don't have time to go to the bathroom. Like, I'm trying to get this football program turned around. And, you know, eventually that was, he figured that was like her way of trying to turn it, you know, Uh, and create uh, a reason to leave. uh And so anyway, Mac's suddenly a single dad with two girls and and he's he's losing it a little bit 
and he goes to this guy, Art Chansky, and is like, he was a sports writer in Chapel Hill and is like, hey, do you know any great single women? Oh, what? Oh, yeah. And Art Chansky happened to know Sally Jesse, who is now Sally Brown, who is one of the most impressive people you'll ever meet in your life. Who, And if I've told this story before, I'll stop. But he's, you know, she was married to the head of the Duke Medical Center. She got ovarian cancer or was diagnosed with ovarian cancer while pregnant with their second child. And her husband told her to abort the pregnancy and start chemo. And she's like, I'm not aborting the pregnancy. And he left her. And she, you know, took the horse farm that they had. She got that in the divorce, taught herself how to develop houses, like literally taught herself how to develop houses and got six houses built on that property where the horse farm was. And, you know, word got around town and this elderly couple who had 600 acres of prime real estate in Chapel Hill had willed it to the university with the stipulation that the school not build until they were both dead. Well, the husband died. They break ground on the Dean Dome. And the wife was like, no, that wasn't the deal. And takes 300 acres back, gives it to Sally Jesse and says, pay me when you start making money. And so Sally develops two massive gated communities right in the heart of Chapel Hill and was a multimillionaire by the time Mac met her, self-made, totally. I mean, that's boss stuff right there, man. It, it's boss. And so Absolutely. Mac starts dating her and he's in he's in awe. And so she comes to practice and he's cussing these guys out. And she's like, Would you cuss out your daughters if they were doing something they loved? Yeah. And he was like, No. <laughs> And he totally changed. Oh. He totally changed. <laughs> and Sally got involved in recruiting. You know, she, everyone, I mean, I, I interviewed Greg Ellis and Eb Acuban when they were with the Cowboys. And I said, hey, tell me about Mac and Sally. They were both at Carolina. And they were like, oh, we liked Mac. We love Miss Sally. Like, and Sally would never do interviews because she always wanted the players to feel like whatever they told her was sacred. Mm-hmm. And she's just one of the smartest people I've ever met. And one of the most impressive. And she totally changed Mac. And like that national championship is as much hers as it is his. And couldn't be happier for him. Because talk about somebody changing their ways, you know, Max, what his grandfather is the winningest high school coach in Tennessee history or was like Mac is old school. And that's, that came to get him when Vince, like they would be on the team bus and Mac wanted everyone quiet going into a game. And VY was like, Hey, you know, can we play some music on the bus? Like, can we get loose? Can we, and Mac, was like, well, okay. <laughs> they never lost another game after that. Yeah. Like, and Max, you know, Brian, we got to get Brian Robinson on the show. 
again because he tells he tells the funniest story. Max showed up one day at practice when everything's rolling in that 05 season. They're just beating the shit out of everybody. Scoring, they set a NCAA record that year. They averaged 50 points a game. And Brian said that Mac came in to practice with his hat slung, ace deuce, with his shorts, you know, pulled down, like low on his hips. And he walks up, to, like B-Rob is like, yo, coach, what's going on? He's like, oh, I was just listening to some 50 cent. <laughs> oh, my God. And B-Rob was like, oh, oh, Lord. I mean. Mac told me that was the easiest year he ever had in coaching because players were all running it. Those players wanted to win so bad. They came out of the, so VY Huff, they told me they saw all the bickering that was going on between like Roy Williams and, and said, said Benson, of course, one went to Permian, one went to, Midland Lee, but like in the 2003 holiday bowl, they were all bitching at each other because guys are dropping passes and it was a mess. And like VY and Casey stuttered and all those guys are like, we're never going to be like that. Like we're getting rid of that. So the minute they got in charge, they were on a mission and they, their motivation was we're, we're not going to be like that. And yeah, you know, that they were, they were like that in practice, but they weren't doing that when game time came around. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause I know um, stories about Casey stuttered and Mike Griffin getting into fights and shit. <laughs> with each other. Yes. Oh, yes. wow. Yeah. And I haven't heard separated. that one. Yeah. What's that one? I we gotta have either one on the show tell it. Okay. Yeah, Casey Stutter just talking to him behind the scenes. He said he had to snatch up Mike real quick when the ones were going versus the ones, which I love those stories. Like, don't fight on the court or on the field when game time's going on. Behind the scenes, hey, if we're competing, let's do it. Like sometimes you need that. When we're competing, it's fine. You don't want no Draymond Green, Jordan Poole, like going to the sidelines and stuff. You could tell that wasn't nothing about nothing. But where we're competing and we're trying to win in the game of football too, nonetheless, yeah, man, you need some of that every once in a while because everybody has the main goal. Like we're trying to be with a national championship, be a national championship team. And KC thought Mike probably stepped over the line. And Mike probably thought KC stepped over the line. And two alphas like that, it's just what it is sometimes, man. It's just what it is. Yeah. Yeah, Casey and Lyle Senline, they're um, – they had a – Casey had an uncle named Robin Senline. Or uh, Lyle had an uncle named Robin Senline. And he played at Texas. And the legend, legendary story, they went rattlesnake hunting and they, they, you know, caught a rattlesnake and they wired 
the snake's mouth shut and put him in a cooler and then had like the freshman come into the dorm room and be like, Hey, will you grab me a beer? Oh my God. And so they open the cooler and there's a rattlesnake in there and they're like, and they go running out of the room, down the hall. And you know, they're trying to get as many of them as many freshmen as they can before the whole team knows what they're doing. And that's like next level. Yeah. <laughs> that's next level. Bringing a rattlesnake into the dorm, you know, wiring its mouth shut. You like, you better do a good job wiring that thing's mouth oh, shut. Yeah, man. That oh. wire comes off. This joke's going to turn. Are you a snake guy? Like, <laughs> run from snake guy. Okay. I'm, we're on the same page then, because hell no. And we've had, no. we've had coral snakes, you know, those red, yellow, and blue ones in our yard. No. Any snake I see is poisonous. I don't give a yeah. damn if it's not. I, that's how I look at it. Because I don't know. Everybody, all oh, red and yellow must be fellow. Green and blue must be cool. I don't all that shit. You know all those dumbass sayings that they try to teach you, Boy Scouts and all that? Nah, man. If it slithers and... It's a problem. It's a threat. Yeah. As the young kids say, it's the ops. <laughs> like, <laughs> we're not... We don't even try messing with snakes where I'm from at all. I don't give a damn how Texan I'll be. I'll eat breakfast tacos, put some brisket in front of me. I'll tear that down. I'm not playing with snakes, man. That's just not even a thing. People that have them as pets, those are demonic people that need to be checked out. We talk about Kirk Cousins and the shrink. If you own a pet snake, some may write. Some may write in the mental. Some's off. Some, you know, you need to be checked out. Some happened in your childhood or something where you're scorned. To where you think that needing a snake as a pet just put up in a cage or whatever the hell they're put up in is cool. Mm -mm. Not the way for me, Chip. No. No. Hell no. Oh, no, no. Yeah, Casey, which I would have probably got my ass whooped, but me and Casey, I would have to stick him one time if he did that to me. Just get one good licking because that's nah. Somebody will break it up the fight later, but... <laughs> Uh, that sounds like stuttered, man. That, that sounds like him. Yeah. Character. Yeah, that's, I mean, and Lyle, Lyle Sunline. The funniest thing about Lyle was he gave, he branded himself. And he wanted it to be an L. And he did it backwards. So he's got a brand on his arm of an L that is backwards. Oh, he did when Danny Stutzman with the horns logo. Mm. And I remember asking him about it and he was like, yeah, that was dumb. I was, like, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this is hilarious. And then I'll never forget. I'm talking to Greg Davis, the offensive coordinator at the time. And I'm like, at the time, he was battling a guy named um, Jason Glenn as the center. And, and Greg Davis said, 
Lyle Senline is like one, he has one of the best football IQs of any center I've ever coached and and Greg Davis coached Jeff Saturday at North Carolina. Sally helped get Jeff Saturday to North Carolina. Huh. Um, and I was like, wow, really? Cause he tried to brand his arm and he did it backwards. And he's like, Oh no, when it comes to football, he's the man. And sure enough, started on a Super Bowl team as a rookie with the Arizona Cardinals. You know, he and Kurt Warner and then, and then Lyle got to his second contract, got paid, and he had Carson Palmer as his quarterback. And I I remember saying, hey, how's that with Carson Palmer? And he's like, well, it sucks because Kurt Warner never wanted to get hit. So he would get that ball out fast. He's like, Carson Palmer's like 6'6", 250. He'll hang in that pocket forever and we're trying to hold blocks hold blocks hold blocks and i was like oh i get it i get it he's like kurt warner he that ball was gonna come out carson he'd be like he'll hang in that pocket till the last guy is breaking through the line hey that's interesting man i never thought about it like that like carson palmer he tore his acl because of it hanging out in that pocket during the Bengals days Yeah, where Cincinnati, that year, they had a shot. Ocho Cinco and Hushmanzada and all those guys, they had a shot. And Palmer goes down, ACL. And, you know, he was still a solid QB, but he was never the same after that. And, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, you know. But, yeah, you got Larry Fitzgerald, Anquan Bolden. Gosh, those Cardinals teams were solid. (laughs) Those, Those Cardinals teams were, they were pretty solid. I mean, I think of those, you know, and we've had some comments here in the chat about all the NFL players. You know, Sam was like that 05 team had NFL players all over the all over the field. And they all did pretty well in the in the league. Yeah. You know, Sed Griffin got two contracts. Michael got three contracts, I think. Yeah, he finessed, um, he finessed the Titans, boy. <laughs> that's my guy I always got to give him shit but yeah Titan fans Mike was there for a long Terrell time Brown he was a fifth round pick and he ended up getting three contracts um Brian Robinson he was a fourth round pick and he I know he got at least two maybe three contracts and you know VY People like, oh, VY, he he didn't do this or that. VY had a 31 in 10 record as an NFL starting quarterback. He had a bad relationship with Jeff Fisher, who every quarterback Jeff Fisher ever coached hated playing for Jeff Fisher, the quarterback killer. He's a defensive minded guy who just, anyway. But, him and McNair didn't get along. You know, McNair was kind of a force of nature. McNair, I think McNair was there before Fisher, but you know, he loved McNair. 
McNair. Um, but remember, Jeff Fisher wanted, they didn't want Vince Young as a quarterback. The Jeff Fisher and Norm Chow, they wanted, you know, anyone but Vince. Why? Because they are both U.S. Well, Norm Chow coached at USC, but Fisher's a USC guy. They wanted either um, Reggie Bush or Matt Leinart. And the owner of the Titans, um, who used to own the Oilers, Bud Adams, was like, oh, no, we're we're taking Vince Young because he wanted – to get over on the Texans who took um, the defensive end that year. And, and so Bud Adams forced Vince on Jeff Fisher and Norm Chow and, and Fisher was leaking stuff to the media about Vince. It was bad. Like what a scumbag, man. You just, you can't like, you can't believe that. And same stuff that, Colt went through with Eric Mangini in Cleveland where Mangini's making up plays that don't exist and calling them out in front of the whole team and saying, you know, seeing how Colt was going to handle it. Like, what, what do you, what do you get say, what, are these, what do these coaches think about? Like, what are we doing? Why are we trying to raise their confidence? Why do we right. want to pull it down? Like, that's not the logic in that. Like the fact that guys get paid millions to have that insane logic is beyond me. Like I, it just makes my blood boil because those are two guys who didn't get a fair shot because their head coaches were salty bastards. Like I just, nothing makes that, nothing can make that make sense. Unbelievable. Like making up plays trying to embarrass him in front of the team for what? Like, wait, where's Mangini's track record? Who did he coach? Oh. Wasn't he with the Jags back in the day? Or am I thinking Jets. of someone else? The Jets. I'll tell you. Yeah, that. man, that's such bo- – oh, my gosh, man. Yeah, they be always having them on ESPN or Fox. I don't know if he's still doing that. So, but, Eric wow. Mangini went – 10 and 6 is the head coach of the Jets in 06. 4 and 12 in 07. 9 and 7 in 08. And then somehow got the job coaching the Cleveland Browns in 09. And went 5 and 11, 5 and 11, fired. Yeah. His career yeah. record. 33 and 47. So his respect came from Belichick and what he did with New England. That's how he got his foot in the door. Right. Put him, put him in with all the other failed assistant. Yo, Belichick's coaching tree is not the best. No. (laughs) Like it's, it is not as good as you would think it should be. And again, 
kind of goes back to Tom Brady's greatness. Like, did Tom Brady really cover up that many holes in some of these coaches' philosophy? Like, I can't help but think, yeah. Because <laughs> Mangini, like, wow, I I can't believe he did that to Colt, man. That is here's, So here's Belichick's coaching tree, and he gets credit for Nick Saban. Because oh, Saban, no, no, they were like the same age. No, hell, no, no. Well, Saban, nah, hold on, Saban, Saban was Belichick's defensive coordinator in Cleveland for four seasons before he left and became a college coach at Michigan State. Yeah, so Saban, nah. but Romeo Cornell, Eric Mangini, Josh McDaniels. Jim Schwartz, trust me, he was the head coach of the Lions. He was a disaster. <laughs> he, may, he may be a good defensive coordinator, but he cannot command the room. Oh, good God. Um, Bill O'Brien, Matt Patricia, Brian Flores, Joe Judge, Cliff Kingsbury. I mean, okay, really? Because – he played for Belichick for a couple of years. I don't know that I would have put Kingsbury, Mike Vrabel. That there, that's one. And Brian Dayball. I'll, I'll, that's two. I'll give him Dayball. So Vrabel and Dayball have won playoff games, and Bill O'Brien made it to the playoffs as the head coach of the Texans. But, but then he he let his ego destroy everything yeah bill o'brien out like how egotistical like he built you were finding out how egotistical he is though you know belichick yeah all the stuff you've heard about him and well Zay, the most egregious thing i've ever heard was josh mcdaniels leaves to how he ever got another head coaching job i'll never know but he leaves and goes to the raiders and Bill Belichick moves Matt Patricia from defensive coordinator to offensive coordinator. What? Talk about incestuous and just lazy. Instead of going out and finding the best guy possible and bringing in some fresh ideas on offense, you're going to move your defensive coordinator over to offense and we talked about this with Stretch. Yeah. And it, Stretch was real classy. Stretch didn't bash no one. He wasn't right. He wasn't doing what we're doing right now because, you know, Stretch, he, he understands him. Right. He's in the coach, coaching the fraternity. Code. Yeah, right. code. it's part of the code. I respect that. But, but Mac Jones, like one minute. And look, Josh McDaniels, obviously a good offensive coordinator. He, Brady still – gives him the vote of confidence and Mac Jones had goes to the pro bowl as a rookie and then gets Matt Patricia as his offensive coordinator. Matt Patricia was the most, he was also a coach of the lions. Great times, huh? Like really? <laughs> Jim Schwartz and Matt Patricia. And Jim Schwartz. Uh, don't get me started. Like that Lions team 
and Jim Schwartz screwed it up so bad that they brought in um, Jim Caldwell, a former head coach of the Colts, and he couldn't corral that defense like that. They needed Mike Zimmer. They needed a guy to come in and tell everyone how it was going to be. That's how you and Zimmer does a good job. Like, you know, people see Zimmer as a screamer. He's a screamer. But once you earn his trust, he will. I mean, open door policy. Like, you remember Tank Johnson? Tank Johnson had gun issues, arrests, and Zimmer was the defensive coordinator for Marvin Lewis in Cincinnati. And the Brown family who owns the Cincinnati Bengals is notoriously cheap. So they would just bring in every cast off. Like they brought in Pac-Man Jones, (laughs) Tank Johnson, Ray Maluga, like all the guys that had just been tossed aside. Vontez, perfect. Oh man, that dude. And Zimmer turned those dudes into the best defense in the NFL. And it's because he got them all to buy in and he put them in the right position. And then, cause I remember the Bengals were a hard knocks team. And when he had all this stuff going and Zimmer would be calling tank Johnson into his office and just talking to him. Hey man, how's it going? How's family. And that's get, that gets back to what you and I were talking about having a real connection. Yes, the, man. Getting to know him. What makes yeah. him tick. Go to their charity events. That's right. so important. Like, that is so important. I always hear these guys talking about, yeah, coach came to my charity event. Yeah, star player on the team. Like, LeBron's coming to my charity event. Like, that means the world. Like, the ones that don't have to do it, like the best player on the teams and the coaches, when you're doing extra stuff just to show that you care, like, that means the world to these guys, and they're going to fight for you. You know what I'm saying? So when you, I hear this story about Mangini putting cold on blast like that and just completely hoeing the dude, like completely just screwing. Colt McCoy's the nicest guy in the world. Like, come on, man. Nobody deserves stuff like that. And it's still happening. Like, it's ain't going to be the last time we hear about these types of stories. Like, it's still happening all around college football, all around the NFL. Hell, it's happening in high school football, probably. You know, like, understand why you got in this profession in the first place. Like, understand that. Not just because you love the game. Like, there's more to it. But, yeah, I, I, I will never get it. I will never get it. Yeah, and you look at, like, uh, we are talking about how RG3 kind of burned the Redskins down with all of his drama and, yeah. you know, got Mike Shanahan fired and then Jay Gruden came in and now, you know, Jay Gruden Gosh. and RG or RG3 are going at it. And meanwhile, Kirk Cousins, people forget the Redskins drafted RG3 and Kirk Cousins in the same draft. Yep. And Kirk Cousins is about to get paid again. Like Kirk Cousins is about to get, I think, his fourth deal. And RG3, if you're RG3, and RG3 is doing fine as a broadcaster, he's doing fine. But 
like her cousin's still going. RG three's been out of the league for like. Let me see when his last year was. Yeah, and I, I'm not. I wouldn't say like if it weren't for injuries, I don't think RG three would have had the career he did. Like that knee just completely given out. He was not able to recover from that, and with his game and the fact that he needed to use his legs for him to be successful. It just never panned out. Like he wasn't one of those guys like Michael, Michael Vick with all the crap that he went through and stuff. He probably had one of the strongest arms in NFL history. So that's, that dude's going to be able to even with father time and not being as fast as he once was, especially coming back from doing the bid in the pen. Like, he still had a rocket arm that you couldn't teach. Like RG3 never had that. You know what I'm saying? So it's Kirk Cousins. He's always been a smart quarterback, and that's why he's been in the league over a decade plus. Yeah, he's 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 played 12 years in the league. Um Kirk Cousins, and he's been he's been the starter. Like he's been the start of the let's see one two three four five six seven eight nine so nine years he's been the starter like you know Colt McCoy twelve years in the league and most of them as a backup Kirk Cousins has been in the line of fire and. You got to give that dude credit, man, because I used to give him all kinds of grief because, of course, I'm a big Zimmer guy, and I wanted them to get over the hump with the Vikings. And Damn, that's very kind of you being a Lions guy. I know. Wow. Well, I was, I was mad. So I covered Zimmer when he was with the Cowboys, and, um, in fact, I, I texted him the other day, and, and I'm trying to get him on the show, and he's like, hey, let me – let me just get settled in here a little bit. But he, you know, he was, I wanted him to coach the Lions so bad because they. I think he would have, they had Matt Stafford, they had Indomitian Sue, they had, they had what they needed. They had, you know, Sean Robinson. I mean, they had dudes and they just couldn't, it was unbelievable. It was the first time you'll ever hear me say the Lions had one of the most talented rosters in the NFL and couldn't get out of their own way. Mm. Like co- coaching matters, and but Zimmer, Zimmer's the truth. Now Zimmer and Kirk Cousins didn't always see eye to eye because Zimmer is a fire breather, and you know Zimmer wanted him to close the deal on some, some of those playoff games and, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough defensive guy, quarterback. That's always, you know, I don't know how many defensive coaches and their quarterback just have the greatest relationship in the right. world. <laughs> like right. uh, Those guys, they, they think, think differently as good as you are as a head coach, you know, it might be a little bit more difficult to relate to your quarterback just because, you haven't necessarily had to be around them as much. So, and plus, Kirk Cousins, as good as he is, as much as we like him and stuff, we know he's flawed. Like, he's no Patrick Mahomes. He's no Joe Burrow. Uh, 
You know, he's he still has his flaws, but as far as toughness and, you know, being able to make all the throws, like he's up there with a lot of guys in the league that get talked about probably a little bit more because they're a little bit more cool or they get on TV more with endorsements and ads and stuff. Like Kurt didn't start getting ads and love until he started rocking the chains and went viral for the video. Right. Like that video put set him in another status. Like, oh, maybe this Kurt Cousins guy is a lot cooler than we thought. You know, like when you see his teammates, they play hard for him. Like they love him. Like that always says a lot to me. Like when your teammates ride for you, because Jones, guys ain't going to be fake. Look what all the Seahawks guys that played with Russell Wilson be saying. <laughs> like, guys, they'll keep it real with you. They'll let you know if you're authentic or not. And Kirk Cousins, he might be goofy and his wife might dress him and stuff, but that's him, though. He's authentic. You can relate to that, you know, and he works hard and busts his ass. He just he's had some bad luck, man. And again, not everybody could be Brady and Patrick Mahomes. How about how about the fact that Kirk Cousins, Nick Foles, and Brian Hoyer were all at Michigan State together? Wow. Yeah, I always thought that was weird for Foles, man. Like when Texas kid goes that far, it's like, dude. You're really getting away or getting, you know, like I get it. I, some guys just want to be away from their parents, but damn, Austin, Texas to Michigan. That's a lot. Oh that's man. Lot. I wasn't surprised at all when he transferred to Arizona, which completely changed his career. But yeah, that's crazy. That's a crazy QB room. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, uh, Nick told me he, woke up the first time it snowed at Michigan state. And he was like, yeah, man, this is, this is ain't rough. It. This ain't it. That's what I'm saying. You can't visit in the summer. You got to visit on the worst day possible. So if you could envision yourself walking around that campus, you know, talking to the honeys around that campus. We were all bundled up and stuff. So you're like, hey, I can't even see the features that I love, especially coming from the ATX. Come on now. Like, that, that's a big change, man. I couldn't have done it at all. You know, like, I would, oh, you always hear stories about Ray Jackson playing with the Fab Five. And how he went to LBJ and stuff. He said if it wasn't for Jalen Rose, he would have went back home. Because he had that moment where, of course, being from Austin, he didn't have a big enough jacket to take that weather up north. So Jalen Rose gave him a jacket and was like, yo, we're, we're going to get you right. We're gonna, You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm a Detroit kid. I'm going to take care of you. And, again, Ray Jackson, he said he owes everything to his teammate, Jalen Rose, Jawan Howard, Chris Weber. You know, all those guys. And if you don't have that, you know, if your coaches aren't checking in on you and stuff, then, yeah, guys, they're not going to be engaged like you want them to because, again, it's not just football. They still got to go to class. They still got, you know, personal lives. They're thousands and thousands of miles away from home. Like, you better be locked down on all your players at all times and giving them the attention that they need. And some coaches don't think they have to. All right, 
your dude going to end up in the transfer portal. And you're wondering why. What could you have done? And sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not. Well, J.K. Dobbins, you know, from LaGrange. So Charlie Strong's recruiting him, recruiting him, recruiting him. And and uh, he tells J.K., make sure you visit up there in, in January. And J.K. said, oh, I will. Because I know I need to get used to that weather when I'm playing in the NFL in Chicago and Green Bay. And JK went to Ohio state. And now if he can stay healthy. I know, man, the Ravens, which they still were good with the running backs. Again, I don't understand why Todd Munkin to this day, I will never understand it. Um, be 20 years down the line, you know, with a lot of gray. And I'm going to go back to, man, if Todd Munkin would have ran the ball against Kansas City, would Patrick Mahomes have that championship ring? We don't know. Just run the damn ball. I thought they were the best team in the league this year. Yeah, they were the best team. What are we doing? The Lions, they beat the crap out of the 49ers. Oh, we forgot Charlie Weiss. Charlie Weiss is part of that Bel- Belichick tree. Charlie Weiss. Okay, this is – how about this? So, Kansas, I think this is a big deal. I don't know how many other people do, but Kansas could have hired um, the uh, the head coach uh, at Central Florida. Um, used to be the head coach at Auburn. Um. Oh hell! Oh, yeah, I'm drawing the blank. Oh, with the name, yeah, Gus Malzahn. Gus Malzahn, yeah. So Kansas could have hired Gus Malzahn, and they hired Charlie Weiss. Charlie Weiss. So the funniest, he comes to Big Twelve Media Day. He's coaching Kansas. And someone asked him, so what's your recruiting pitch at Kansas? And he's like, we usually have the recruits try to, you know, watch a practice. And I'll say, look at that pile of crap out there. You can be better than that. What? He ain't say that, man. He said that. You're pulling my leg. You're, you're, yeah, you ain't I'm, say that, man. I'm Google it. Ain't no, <laughs> ain't no way. Ain't no way. Crap out there. Wow. Charlie Weiss calls Kansas football team a pile of crap. 2013. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He said, when asked today how he pitched his struggling program to high school recruits, Weiss didn't pull any punches. He told reporters that he tried to sell recruits on the fact that they'd play right away, referring to his team as a pile of crap. I mean, again, if I'm a recruit, if I'm a parent whose son's being recruited, I look at Charlie and I'm like, but aren't you the one that's supposed to change that or help change that? Will you be saying that about my son if he commits here the next season when y'all struggle again? Because this is Kansas now. You know, it's not like five-star and blue-chip guys are rolling in. 
It's not like the NIL. Well, it wasn't NIL money back then, but the under the table money, it wasn't like it was popping because that shit was going to Bill Self. So, Charlie, what are we doing here? Here's the full quote. So he's asked, you know, what's your recruiting pitch, struggling program? Quote, everyone wants to play. There's no one that wants to not play. I said, have you looked at that pile of crap out there? Have you taken a look at that? So if you don't think you can play here, where do you think you can play? It's a pretty simple approach. And that's not a sales pitch. That's practical. You've seen it, right? Unfortunately, so have I, end quote. Needless to say, Charlie Weiss did not last long at Kansas. In fact, he was getting paid buyout money, crazy buyout money from getting fired at Notre Dame. His buyout at Notre Dame was $18.9 million. You think, you know, that was huge. Like Jimbo Fisher has dulled everyone's senses. But he got paid $18.97 million to leave Notre Dame. And then his buyout from Kansas was $5.4 million. So at one point, Charlie was getting paid almost, well, he's getting paid over $20 million not to coach. And that was that was a lot of money back then. Shit, still is a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Jimbo's made us kind of. I mean, Jimbo Fisher is going to get paid seven million dollars a year for the next ten years. Yeah, run the program to the ground, Jimbo. Go ahead. And I, I would not have fired him. Like, he and Petrino kind of got it going. I mean, I wouldn't have fired him. I, yeah. he, he couldn't get the quarterback situation right, and I get it. Neither could Harbaugh. Harbaugh kept trying to bring in transfers to be his quarterback, and he couldn't get it right. Well, I, I think Wegman still has promise, though. He just I did, too. That's why I would not have fired Jimbo. Right. Because I think Connor Wegman – could be the the guy. And, you know, Jimbo can talk. He can recruit. He was still getting players on campus. That dude can talk. And, like, I don't know. So what? what? Because there obviously has to be more going on behind the scenes on people that he butt heads with. Because, again, yes – there are some things that I feel he was there, like his offense outdated and there's things that he should have tweaked, but that can't only be it, you know? Cause again, you're right. He was bringing guys in. We know that NIL money and college station is solid. So why put yourself in a hole? And again, I think Mike Elko's a solid hire, but is he really the guy? And I think my expectations for AM is way different than their expectations. They think they should be in the national championship every year. Hey, I'm an Aggie fan. I just want to get in the CFP at this point. Yes, your little brother. 
<laughs> you're you're gonna be a little brother. So if you embrace that, that just that they can't they can't do that. The ego down there, they don't like when Texas is having success. And you said it like right when it happened, the success that Sark had this year went into that firing. It did. It totally did. And they, I thought had, I thought they had something lined up. Like, I was like, oh, they must have Jeff Trailer ready to go, you know. And then, and then they have the crazy situation where their athletic director, who, by the way, now is at Ohio State, Ross Bjork wanted to hire Mark Stoops oh, and John wow. Sharp. John Sharp and the Regents, they snuffed it. And, and, and look, I'm not saying Ross Bjork is an angel, but Ross Bjork, as soon as that happened and credit whoever his agent is, maybe it's Jimmy Sexton, but he got out of there. He survived John Sharp and, and now he's at Ohio state where, I mean, that's, that's, that's a great program. Yeah. It's a great program. It's a, it's such a healthier place to work than a and And I'm not, I'm not, listen, John Sharp is a super smart guy. He was the state comptroller, ran for governor. He's a super smart guy when he's focused in the right direction, but he wakes up every day trying to figure out how to get AM ahead of Texas. I'm not kidding. And he's the head of the whole system. He's over all the AM system, not just AM, but you would think he's the president. They still don't have a new president, Zay. Still? No. They have an interim. Uh, healthy environment. You just said it. It ain't very healthy. That's a stressful atmosphere down there in College Station. With not much to do, at least in the ATX, you could go paddleboard in the stuff, Lake Austin. You know, you go catch an F1 race. You could go, you know, watch Austin FC play. Like, there's a lot to do. The music scene, there's a lot to do in the ATX that gets rid of all the stress where you're like, oh, man, today was a hard day at work. But you know what? I'm going to go down to Zelker and, you know, see some beautiful honeys walking around with their dogs and walk my dog. It's going to be fun. You ain't doing that shit in College Station. You just go home. That's all you, that's all you do. You, you might go to Lanes, but that's probably packed and crowded because everybody's thinking the same way you are. And then you go home. Nobody trying to deal with that. I get it. I get it. You know what I'm saying? I completely understand why somebody who is definitely capable, definitely deserving, might not want to go down to College Station and deal with all the crap that you got to deal with. Because that's toxic. Waking up and thinking, how do we get a step in front of Texas? That's toxic thinking. Because it's not possible. You just want to be close. Like, that's what I would. That's, what, that's how I would look at it. I just want to be close. I just want to be able to beat them in different sports, but also understand that, oh yeah, they're the flagship school in the state. Like that's, <laughs> if you can understand that, you'll probably be better off, but trying to get Texas ahead by, you know, trying to run, 
trying to run to the SEC and be, oh, we're the only team that, well, we're back. <laughs> we're back playing Texas every year now. How are you going to embrace it? You know, hold on. Somebody knocking on the door. Yeah. Well, yeah. And thanks for reminding me of this, uh, CB, that, yeah, when the Lions fired Jim Caldwell, they hired Matt Patricia. It went from bad to worse. There is no doubt. Um, it was, uh, that was awful. But yeah, this, uh, yeah, and by the way, Texas A&M, they opened a branch in Qatar in the Middle East. They're closing that campus. Like, why, why don't you just focus on why why they do that? I don't know. I need to get some more information on that. But I remember I thought, did Steve Patterson take over at A&M? Patterson was always trying to spread Texas's brand to the Middle East where his wife is from. And his uh, wife went on every trip that they took to the United Arab Emirates. But um, I also thought that, you know, Patterson had a consulting um, firm about building stadiums. He sort of, and this is so weird, he takes credit for getting NRG built in Houston when Patterson was part of the Texans organization. And the crazy thing is Oliver Luck was like more instrumental in getting NRG built than Patterson. But Patterson, you know, was like, I'm the guru of getting stadiums built. And part of his getting the Texas job was based on that. He's like, oh, I'll get a new arena built uh, for the Irwin Center. You know, we'll, we'll get a new arena built. And then he pissed off everyone in the city. Patterson did because he never made it collaborative. He was like, you know, you've had the Irwin Center for 30 years and you know, he went to the city and said this, you've had the Irwin Center for 30 years and we've paid for it and you've benefited from it. How about you, you know, get involved in trying to build this new arena and the city's like, who are you? Like, who would play there? What, what would it be for? Well, they, it would have been for Texas basketball, but he was trying to make it a collaborative event and then good for Greg Fenvis. Greg Fenvis is the one who got the third party investors, the Oakview group to build Moody center along with, you know, helps to get 130 million endowment from Ross Moody, the Moody family, most powerful foundation in the state of Texas. And they have stuff all over the world, but, um, it's about collaboration. Patterson went in there with a blowtorch and the city was like, yeah, we're never dealing with you. And, and Fenvis, Bill Powers, like Bill Powers realized after hiring Patterson, what a disaster the guy is. But Greg Fenvis inherited Patterson and Fenvis fired him 22 months into a seven year deal. And then Fenvis and some help from, I mean, believe it or not, Matthew McConaughey, um, Live Nation, 
Oakview Group. They're like, hey, we'll build the arena and we'll lease it back to the school. And in 35 years, after we've been paid off for everything that we've done, you will own the arena. And it was a great deal. It, it is a great deal. I mean, I think everybody feels good about it. It's a unique way to solve that problem. I don't, I don't, I need to look into it more, but I don't know, like it, it, it kept the university of Texas from having to shell out major cash at a time where, you know, not everyone just has 400 million to plunk down 388 million to plunk down for a new arena, especially one that goes 60 feet into the ground full of limestone. And, and so that's what they're doing. They're paying, you know, Texas is paying back the Oakview group for 35 years till they're all made whole with some interest. And then Texas will own the arena. So that works. Great investment. And Patterson was like, oh, and Patterson was trying to get contracts to build the stadiums for the World Cup. When it okay, that, that's what I was asking. Like, what was that for? I knew yeah. it was for basketball, but that's what. I mean, it was overseas for. uh, It was that was uh, that was a dark. Hey, if you whipped your women, gonna make you do stuff that don't even make sense. If you whip like that, you (laughs) know, his woman obviously a big influence in doing that, being from that area. So yeah, that's gonna. mm -hmm. Yep, I've seen men with. A lot less money than that. Do things that were completely out of their pay grade because of a woman. Now, if you're with Sally Brown, you do whatever she says. Um, yeah, no, Sally, Sally Brown, she meant well. There's yeah, some she, women that don't. She's going to take you here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, that, that does he take that. credit for the Moody? No, Patterson cannot take credit for the Moody Center. That, that, that goes to Greg Fenvis. And here's the funny thing. Fenvis was the president at the University of Texas, and he left to go become the president at Emory in Atlanta because they don't have athletics. Memphis told some people privately, athletics is all-consuming. And if you don't have a stomach for it, like if you don't like athletics and get it and realize the importance of it, and I think Fenvis realized the importance of it, and he hired Chris Del Conte. So, Greg Fenvis, you get credit for Chris Del Conte, and you get credit for the Moody Center. And that's kudos. You went out with a bang. But, oh, man, he he was like, that aged me. Athletics aged me. I'm going to a school with no athletics. So. <laughs> All right, let's get to the commentary. Let's uh, let's get some mentions in here for our good friends at uh, Apple Leasing. I mean, Apple Leasing, getting you into the car you really want to be driving, getting you into a brand new car. Some of you haven't been in a brand new car ever because you're like I used to be. I used to only buy used cars because I didn't want to pay for the future trade-in value of that car, which is the single biggest markup in a new or used car. That is why when you buy a car, you drive it off the lot, it depreciates in value. Buying a car is not a great investment because it is a depreciating asset. So leasing it 
you get a new car, you're driving it two to three years, you want a change making model of car, no problem at Apple leasing because they lease every make and model of car. So they don't care what car you pick. You lease from a dealership, they're going to keep you in that car. Apple leasing, no problem. You want to change? No problem. Easy lease. Everything about Apple leasing is easy. So whether you want to keep your payments in the $400 range or get a Range Rover, they've got you covered and you deserve to be in a new car. You're going to be in traffic, especially in Austin, Texas. Give them a call today, 346-9977. Visit AppleLeasing.com. Tell them Chip Brown sent you. Audio visual consultations. Our man, Tom McKay, making sure that you get the big screen of your dreams. I mean, when you're ready, there's only one call to make, 255-8678. Tom's going to bring you the best price on big screen. His crew's going to put it up for you. You don't have to worry about a thing. You don't have to punch any drywall. They're going to come in. They're going to make it look like, like they do for a lot of your favorite restaurants in Austin, like they've done for me in three different houses. Audio-visual consultations, big screen, surround sound, surveillance, uh, new lighting, electronic shades. They got it all. 255-8678, avconsultations.com, and Brain Vault. Brain Vault. Brain Vault is revolutionizing the mouth guard, the competitive mouth guard. It's in college football. It's in the NFL, and it's not something you buy at a sporting goods store. It's something you get fitted for by a dentist, Dr. Greg Eckert, Austin's dentist, Dr. U-E-C-K-E-R-T. Look, developed right here in Austin and your competitor needs to play hard, but they need to play smart. And Brain Vault Mouth Guard, the only mouth guard proven, patented to reduce the effects of concussion. They've got it so that if your kid's a cheerleader, flag football player lacrosse or maybe you're playing in a basketball league you don't want to get that elbow to the chops that could you know bust up your teeth first and foremost but end up with a concussion protect yourself play hard but play safe brainvault.com to set up a fitting and cover three cover three. Oh my gosh i mean this is my this is my jam. This is my spot right there. I go to the one on Anderson Lane the most, um, but up in Round Rock, right at Old Settlers, uh, the great menu. I mean, the Sean Adams prime rib sandwich. It's it's just got a great vibe. You go in, you get great food, great service, and take your take your whole gang, hang out, watch, watch the game, take a date. It's perfect. I think it suits every every purpose. My wife was like, can we go somewhere other than cover three? I was like, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, maybe I need to expand my repertoire a little bit. Uh, but Doug Young, Matt Dotson, they started it. Two kids who grew up in Austin with a dream of having a sports restaurant. And there it is. Cover three and cover two right there at 183 and Lake Creek. All right. For the uh, chip shot today, talking a little bit about the importance of coaching and someday, someday my man Zay is going to introduce me and all of you to CC on this show. I got you. (laughs) Okay. Um, But the importance of coaching, coaching matters. 
And I got into a discussion the other day with a friend who's not totally into sports. So they're like that $10.3 million salary for a football coach. That's ridiculous. It doesn't make sense. And I said, well, it does sometimes. Now, if you give that money to Mel Tucker or Jimbo Fisher, and really, given Fisher, that initial deal wasn't terrible. It was extending him. Like, I don't know. Here's the thing about what Texas did. And you have to think back to Mac Brown. Mac Brown. And by the way, Mac Brown came to Texas. I looked this up the other day. For 750000 a year. And when he got a raise to a million, it was a big deal. Um, but... Mac Brown didn't win a conference championship until his eighth year. He got here in 98. He won his first conference. Oh, seven years. In 05. Steve Sarkeesian won the conference championship in his third year. And I've always said great coaches reveal themselves in the first three years. You'll know if you've got, a good one. Like what Lance Leipold is doing at Kansas, that dude can coach. What he's done in three years, okay. Bob Stoops won a national championship in his second year. Okay. Barry Switzer, national championship in his first three years. Jimmy Johnson. The list goes on and on. Brian Kelly was uh, in a national championship game um, in his first three years at Notre Dame. And if, if you've got a potentially great one, they're going to identify themselves. And Texas feels as good about investing in Steve Sarkeesian, the person, as they do Steve Sarkeesian, the coach. And it, it was a hell of a gamble because people would look at Steve Sarkeesian and say, well, wait a minute, isn't he like, didn't he go to rehab for alcohol? And isn't that Texas job super pressurized and like, it's going to be a lot for him. And the thing about what Steve Sarkeesian has shown us up to this point is that when he went to the edge of the cliff and looked over after he got fired at USC and he wondered if anyone was ever going to call him again. And he got that call from Nick Saban that he was committed to a life of building and not self-indulgence. And I'm impressed because listen, I've got alcoholism in my family. It's a battle. It's a daily battle. And it's, you know, it's a lot and there is a lot of pressure. And I'm, I give, you know, people get, you know, they bring up that moment before the holiday or whatever the Alamo bowl when his team thought they were coming out of the tunnel. And then the guy told him to wait. So the team's pushing Sarkeesian forward and he got a guy poking him in the chest and he's like, get your hands off me. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and people are like, Oh, look, there's Sarkeesian losing his mind. I'm like, no, don't he's back on that shit. Don't base anything off of that. Like base it off of how he carries himself. 24 hours of the day, not 30 seconds because a 
team thought it was coming out of the tunnel and then they were told this wait. Um, so I look at Steve Sarkeesian and I look, I don't, I don't know Steve Sarkeesian that well. I know what I've, my interactions with them, the players, what they say, the officials at Texas, what they say, but you know, sometimes you can tell when a coach is like, little bit duplicitous when they're saying one thing here and another thing here, like Tom Herman kissing his players coming out of the tunnel, but in practice, he's MFing them out the yin yang. And from what I can see, Steve Sarkeesian tries to be transparent. Now you're like, well, what does that have to do with making $10.3 million? It means a lot because your bosses have to believe in you. Your players have to believe in you or it's not going to hold together. It'll be a house of cards. It'll crash. And you can't like Mel Tucker. Mel Tucker's a good football coach. He did some stupid stuff. And then he got into a public fight with a woman who has a high enough public profile to say, uh, here's what really happened. And now Mel Tucker's, you know, trying to squeeze money out of Michigan. Yeah. I mean, and is Mel Tucker ever going to get another coaching job? He's going to have to beg and rehab his persona and go back at a much lower level. It's you, you want authenticity. And the thing that Texas brass believes is that they have a guy who's authentic. And that means almost as much as his success on the field, especially following, you know, the Tom Herman situation where these same leaders, Jay Hartzell, Chris Del Conte, Kevin Altife, chairman of the Regents Board, decided, you know what? We don't believe this guy is a good leader of, young men were done. Mm -hmm. His record was, he was winning 63% of his games. Tom Herman will probably win eventually at Florida Atlantic or whatever, but it wasn't enough. And so kudos, because I think the, the brass at Texas feels like this is worth the investment. And, and look, if you can continue to, put your team in a college football playoff. I mean, no one's ever going to do what Nick Saban just did. I don't think win six national titles at one school, win seven total, but Nick Saban was making 11.4 million a year and he was underpaid for what he did for that university. The publicity, the college game day appearances, all the TV advertising, Alabama was able to beef up their research, their enrollment, everything because of Nick Saban. So look, it's, it's a gamble. It's always a gamble because one wrong decision, Mel Tucker can unravel everything. It's, it's a gentle fabric, this thing called life. And Mel Tucker, Chris Beard. Like, yeah, Chris Beard, Chris Beard, walk away, walk away, tell her to leave, you leave, 
I'm gone. I'm like, whoa, I'm worth millions. You're not messing up my dream job. Sorry, I'm gone. Great point. Not coming back. I mean, on the message board at at uh, Horns twenty four seven, there's there's still debates. You know, look at you know look at what Beard's doing at Ole Miss. He's gonna get it. You know, he's not coming back because he made that he made that decision, and he he reacted when he should have walked away. Yeah. All right, let's get to the right call. All right, man. Before the right call, though, got to shout out Covert BK, the Covert Automotive Dealership, family owned and have been doing it well for over a hundred years, getting people out of those hoopties, getting those people out of those 80s station wagons and those beat up Pintos. You shouldn't be riding like that. You should be riding clean out in these Austin streets and go to Covert BK to ride clean. Seven terrific brands to choose from Cadillac, Buick, GMC, Dodge, Chrysler, Ram and Jeep, covertbcave.com. We'll hook you up for all the latest specials and inventory. Check that out. Nobody beats a covert deal. Not now, not ever. And kind of to piggyback off what you were saying on the chip shot, Chip, don't act like uh, L'Oreal Sarkeesian ain't doing uh, what Sally did for Mac. Right. Like, her influence ain't there because that's right. real. She wouldn't, you wouldn't see her that much if she wasn't. Like she on the field when Sark does interviews, she be around. Like, yes, she's a huge presence to what Steve Sarkeesian does, and she needs to get credit too, kind of like what Sally did for Mac. Yeah. But all right, right call today. I don't know if you've been seeing it on social media, but Johnny Manziel went on Club Shay Shay with Shannon Sharp, which that might be the hottest podcast that's not Texas Sports Unfiltered out right now. Because Shannon Sharp, he's had Cat Williams acting a complete fool these last few months when he went on that show. Uh, Monique said some crazy stuff, and now he's got Johnny Menzel on the show, which Johnny, you know, Johnny's came a long way. I don't think he's that same Johnny football anymore. He was talking to Shannon about how, you know, he apologized to LeBron and Maverick Carter about taking them in with their agency and letting them down and all the coaches that he kind of screwed over by not watching film and just not being a really good person and taking his professional career seriously. But another thing that stood out in this interview, Chip, was when he told Shannon Sharp that his pops – went to Kevin Sumlin, Kevin Sumlin, excuse me, and asked for $3 million under the table for Johnny to stay those last two years and said he would have stuck around if Sumlin was about getting them that money. And Sumlin was like, no, nah, I'm not, no, absolutely not. And then Johnny went on to say, yo, Kevin Sumlin, pretty egotistical. One of those guys that wanted all the credit, you know, when Johnny left to the NFL and they had, uh, what's his name, Mond? They had Mond in there and Mond threw five touchdowns against South Carolina. No, Kenny, Kenny Hill. Hill. Kenny Hill, that's it. Yeah, both light-skinned brothers. Kenny Hill had him and he threw those five touchdowns against South Carolina and he talked about how they just basically wrote Johnny off. And it was like he wasn't there or won Heisman's or anything. And Johnny talked about how that hurt his feelings, you know. But I did find it interesting that Johnny Football's pops 
went to Sumlin, which Johnny said he just found this out like five years after it actually happened. So probably around 2019 or so, his pops didn't tell him about it. He just said, yo, this could happen if you get us this money. And, of course, Kevin Sumlin didn't do it. So, wow. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Johnny Listen, was a lot. <laughs> Johnny was I a like lot. Kevin Sumlin. I've known Kevin a long time. And, and I've talked to him, you know, since he's gotten out of coaching. And that's – that's one that if Sumlin gets caught, he's doomed. Yeah. He's like, doomed. And then Johnny went on to go and say, it's been happening for 30-something years. Yeah, but the, not it's not, not coming from the head coach, or it shouldn't. And that that's interesting. Now, okay. I don't know if I should say this or not. Oh, um, come on, man. Cats okay, do you remember – this is your wheelhouse, Zay. Do you remember when uh, Mo Bamba – do you remember when Mo Bamba's brother made that poolside video? Yeah, and, yeah I can't remember and that. Mo, you know, took money from Texas to go to Texas. Mm-hmm. And it was because – Kentucky had already paid for Mobamba. They paid his brother. And you got to know who you're dealing with in those deals. Like, if we pay, you got to deliver. And so they paid his brother. And Mo allegedly was getting money from Texas. And he had an agent, a whatever, a, a, mentor who was mentoring Mobamba and that guy apparently got the money. Um, and it was, it was crazy. And I just remember Shaka had never been in that world before at VCU. And I know a source who was involved, who said, that Shaka asked him, do you think we need to pay players to get them at Texas? And this source said, do you think Bill Self is taking care of players to get them to Kansas? And Shaka was like, yeah. And you got to know how to do that stuff. Yeah. And that's where, you know, I can feel for Kevin Sumlin because and Johnny put Kevin through a lot. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's Johnny, two years. Do I want you to stay around two right. years? So Johnny, you're in the pen? Yeah. Johnny was bigger than the program. And that's every player's – I mean, every coach's kind of worst nightmare unless that player is all about their team. Like Vince. VY was bigger than the program. But he was about his teammates and everything. Yeah. Johnny, nothing surprises me about Johnny. He is he is the modern day Bobby Lane. He's the modern day Bobby Lane. Bobby Lane did whatever he wanted, but he was good enough on the field to make it work. He was Mickey Mantle, you know, and Johnny 
Johnny had a shelf life as a 5'11", fast kid who could run out of the back of the pocket in college football because once he got to the NFL, you run out of the back of the pocket, you just lost 12 yards because you're getting sacked. But that's fascinating. I'm going to have to listen to that now. I'm going to have to listen to that. So Johnny Manziel told Shannon Sharp that his dad went to Kevin Sumlin and said, you give us three mil, Johnny will stay. <laughs> That's what he said? Yeah. That's what he said. Man. That's what he well, said. Man. You, you saw the 30 for 30 on Johnny. Yeah, I did. Johnny was like, hey, man, they told us not to sign any more stuff. We were signing stuff like crazy. Yeah, he didn't care. Yeah. And care. Johnny ended up on the right side of the issue, ultimately, but not. At that time, that's interesting. That's interesting. All right. Looks like our time is done here. So look at this. Do we have a split? I'm going to bring in Rocky and have her tell me what, what's going on. Please. What's that? BK2, please. Okay, BK, let's go. Like a funny thing today. I have to leave by four. Megan gets in at four. So BK's helping us out. First hour, special guest, Nash Talks Texas, second hour. So teamwork makes the dream work. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. Let's go. Let's go.